0: Good evening everyone, um, as COVID eases, so sure attendance seems to drop, but uh, that being said, it's uh, always quality enough quantity and um, people can sign up on the uh, podcast to join up if you've missed. So we are dealing with Sabra in this week's parasha, it does not come, this week is a double parasha being uh, Chukat Balak, it's very rare that we have Chukat Balak come together. And Balak tells a story that we see over here in uh, the second source in Bamidbar, where it tells the story that Bilam, who is a uh, a non-Jewish prophet who seeks to curse B'nai Israel, and he goes and uh, initially Hashem comes to him and says, Who are these people with you that have come to call you? And he tells Bilam not to go. But eventually Bilam goes, despite Hashem admonishing him not to do so. So it says, but God was incensed that he was going, so an angel of Hashem placed him on his way as an adversary. It's interesting. This word "adversary" it means is "lasatan laladere." The term "Satan," which is used in uh, non-Jewish context, is often put as an individual, as a as a being, whereas in uh, is in halachic terminology, in Torah terminology, the term "lasatan" is very similar to uh, a yitzhara. It's in fact, it's here, Satan, who Yetzirah, is the way the Gemara brings it. And the story goes, you can read it over there, but the, the way the story pans out is that Hashem sends an angel and the, the donkey sees the angel, but Bilam does not. So the angel impedes the way of the donkey. The donkey starts walking to the side and Bilam starts striking the donkey and see that he he beat her again, and the angel comes forward, and uh, eventually the, the donkey crouches, lies down, and Bilam Bir- was furious, and he beat his ass, his, uh, his she-donkey, with a stick. Then the donkey starts speaking, and uh, the whole question and answer goes forward. And from here, we, we really, it's become a real launchpad for the concept of Sarbalei about beating an animal. Now, this is not the uh, first time that the concept comes up in the Torah. We see it come in a number of different contexts, one of them being in Pashat Mishpatim, the deceived first source, when you see the donkey or ass of your enemy lying under its burden, do not refrain from raising it. You must surely raise it with him. So here you have a donkey that is burdened with a very heavy burden and it can't get up. So you're not allowed to refrain from helping him. You have to help him. So the question comes is, well, what's why? Why do you have to help him? So on the one hand, it says here, yeah, it's the the, the ask of your enemy. So the Gemara over there wants to say, well, if it's your enemy, why? Why? What's that coming to add that if it wasn't your enemy? So the way that the Gemara learns it out is that even if it's either even if it's your enemy, all the more so if it's your friend, but even if it's your enemy. Otherwise, the one to learn is not especially if it's your enemy. That your enemy, ordinarily would say, why do I want to help my enemy? It says you have to lichvoshi to conquer your Yat Sahara, the negativity that you're feeling towards your fellow, you should go help him with his donkey. But the Gemara brings another uh, interesting dilemma. It says, you have, uh, you have this concept of the donkey struggling under its uh, burden. Um, is that the only reason? It says, no, because you also have Tsar Balei Chayim. You have to help the animal because the animal is struggling with its burden and so you, have to, it is, uh, you have to be concerned about the well-being of the, the donkey itself. Now, that being said... Um, there are limits to this because the Gemara brings a dilemma. It's called Ohev-lif-rok, persona lit on So you've got two people with donkeys that both need assistance. One is busy burdening up their donkey and the other is unburdening their donkey. The person who's burdening up is a good friend and the person who's unburdening is the don- is, is your enemy. Now, burdening up is putting weight onto the donkey, therefore causing it more stress and pain. Unburdening is relieving it. So the Gemara says, well, who should you help here? Your enemy who is burdening the donkey or your friend who's unburdening the donkey. So helping your enemy over at which trumps, the Gemara says, helping your enemy is more important. So you already see over there that the concept of of, uh, of a certain level of harmony between A man and his fellow trumps even uh, saving an animal from uh, suffering and pain. Now, what I'd like to share with this evening is not really talk in in a a very um, general way about Saurabh and We might just touch on a few of the halachot. But I want to deal with a specific question, which we're going to deal with outside more than inside. And that is, when it comes to um, infestation and getting rid of pests... Is there any level of sensitivity that halacha has towards them? So whether it be flies, bees or rats. um, Is there some way that we should have some level of compassion towards these animals? Or do we say, no, a pest is a pest. Some of them are just very unpleasant. Some of them are outright dangerous. Either dangerous because they themselves can do danger or they could bring infestation with them. So uh, does one have to show a certain level of sensitivity towards these animals or not at all? We can just go and do whatever we want. So there's a question we're going to deal with uh, based on a teshuva on a response written by Rav Moshe Feinstein. But uh, let's deal with this initially by looking at uh, a famous Talmudic passage that takes place regarding Rabbi Huda Nasi. Rabbi Nasi is often referred to as just Rebbe. He was the uh, redacting compiler of the Mishnah, so he's one of the greatest rabbis of the uh, Mishnaic times. He compiled it all. lived in a place called uh, Tzipori. And the tells tells the following story. Rabbi Yehuda suffered for many years from undue, from terrible pain. So what is the what was the incident? Gomorrah answers: There was a certain calf that was being led to the slaughter. The sloth, this calf went and hung its head in the corner of Rabbi Yehuda's garment and was weeping. So Rabbi Yehuda Nasi and were sitting, and this calf runs into the Beit Midrash and you know cowers underneath. Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi. Rabbi Yehuda said to you, go to it for you were created for this purpose. So he looks to this calf and says, go, go be shechted. That is what you were created to do. So to sit in heaven, since he was not compassionate towards the calf, let afflictions come upon him. So he suffers for many, many years. He says, uh, I think if I'm not mistaken, it was a toothache that he suffered from. So and then the Gemara continues. So the, also the pain left him due to another reason. What was that? One day, the maid servant Rabbi Huda Nasi was sweeping his house and there were young weasels. Now, this word weasels is not entirely true. The word is chulda. A chulda is definitely a rodent. It is karkushta. Okay, so it was a, a rodent of some form. It was a family of rodents that were in the house and she was sweeping them out or killing them, trying to get rid of them. Um, she was in the process of sweeping them out. and Yehudah Nasi says, Let them be as it says. The, God, the Lord is good to all his mercies or over all his works. Which comes from Asherah. Berachamah v'akom Okay, And his mercies are on all his works. So they said in heaven, Since he was compassionate, we shall be compassionate on him and he was relieved of his suffering. So the Gemara here tells the story of Rabbi Yehudah suffering terribly as a result of not having... Um, compassion for animals and being alleviated of that suffering for having compassion to animals. So I suppose you could look at it in a couple of ways. Is one is saying, "Well, was was he wrong to do so?" That Rabbi Yehuda Nasi, that he when he comes to say, uh, "You know, when the cough comes in." So what is he supposed to say? Is to protect the cough? So what is this? Is this? Uh, are we we going to go for vegetarianism now? That he's not supposed to say that every animal, no animal, wants to be killed. So the fact that the calf realized was going to, be, you know, is that why he got punished? So what should he have done? Um, and then the the with regards to uh, getting rid of the uh, the animals, the rodents in his house. So what should he have done? Should he have just left them there? Um, rodents are invariably not wanted in a person's house. So what should you do? So what is the Gemara trying to teach us over here? So perhaps well, a couple of ways of looking at it is when we're bihur nasi. That it wasn't so much what he said as much as it's how he said it. He says, go because that is how you were created, you know, which he says to the calf. It wasn't so much the idea of being uh, of, of eating meat that was problematic in as much as it was the callousness to which he showed the animal. And similarly, with regards to the, uh, the weasels, it wasn't so much the idea that one should... Um, you know, should let them be and let them, you know, go their own way. But rather, it's just the way that uh, one treats these particular animals. Okay, so those are, you know, questions that come out of this particular Gemara. Now, let me just uh, go, before we go into Rav Moshe Feinstein's how he addresses this particular issue. Let's um, just deal with a couple of, um, let's say, preamble, preliminary comments with regards to the concept of uh, where animals and humans um, find themselves in, in, in the world. The beginning of creation, Adam is creating, it says, ruvu, You should be fruitful, multiply, and conquer the world, and rule over the fish of the sea, and the birds of the heaven, and the animals of the land. So this whole idea that you have to now, um, you have to rule over the world, it comes with a certain levels not only of, uh, of dominance and authority, but also with a certain level of responsibility. That an animal, you have to rule over it. But a ruler is not a, a, bit, is not a malevolent dictator. That is not the concept of a ruler. The same way as a king, as a monarch, he's, uh, he might be the ultimate ruler of the, of the kingdom. That doesn't mean he can do whatever he wants. Similarly with regards to... Um, creations our our opportunity here is to rule over the world but not to abuse the world and so that's where really the question is going to come in so there is this idea we don't see we see that Adam and Chava that there is no permission to eat from uh, animals whether they were vegetarian or not is not clear from Chazal well in Chazal it seems to be that they did eat meat but they did not slaughter meat they ate uh, what were called uh, Navehlas animals that died of other causes they would eat but um, the permission to come and eat animals doesn't come until after the flood, and we see this idea of eating animals is something that is uh, well entrenched within Jewish law, not only for sacrificial purposes, but okay, we read it a few weeks ago that even for non-sacrificial, what's called for chulin, for just for personal, for personal benefit, is completely permitted to slaughter animals. The question is, is that is you know is that, um, is that just like go for it, there's, there's a free fall. So the Gemara and Brachot <coughs> deals with certain personality types that are more suited to certain um, to certain careers. So this is a person who's born under the, uh, the 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 star sign of Mars. He's going to be a bloodshedder. And whether he's going to be a murderer or he's going to be a Shachet or a, or a mohel, is you know, they're going to be dependent on how he uses free choice to be able to determine how he's going to exercise that uh, bloodthirsty desire. However, we do see the concept of, of uh, hunting, for example, in a very negative light. Anytime we see the concept of a hunter come, it is invariably uh, seen as very poor character. For example, we see two hunters in uh, Brashit, one being Nimrod, Nimrod, very little is said explicitly in the text, but Nimrod is known infamously for being the individual who threw Avraham into the fire, as well as the instigator of the building of the Tower of Babel, uh, Migdal Bavel. So he he was a gibber who was a tzadlif And the second one, who is the most infamous uh, hunter in the Torah, is Esauv. So Asaf, who was a, a real hunter in every sense of the word, whether he hunted humans or he hunted, um, he hunted animals, is somebody who is not looked at as an individual of good character. So much so that within Jewish law, the concept of hunting is a Torah prohibition. That unless you are hunting for food, and it is almost impossible within the Jewish uh, faith to be able to hunt for food because you've got to shech the animal, so you can hunt potentially for, for the furs, you could hunt potentially to sell the animals um with regards to fish you could you could you could fish to in order to eat and you could potentially um and you could potentially trap so you could trap animals to uh, rather than hunt them but hunting them to shoot for game for sport so that is a torah prohibition and part of it is tsar Balei it is just killing animals for sport but perhaps mm. deeply bedded within that is a certain culture which is counter to what the Jewish ethic is. This idea of inflicting pain for, uh, for, personal, for personal enjoyment is something that is, runs counter. And that is sort of where this, this concept of Tzar Balei comes in. That I'm going to inflict pain on an animal for pure enjoyment would be uh, the problem of Tzar Chaim. That being said is uh, causing pain to animals is something that halachically we do all the time. Even even beyond um, even beyond the concept of just um, shechting the animal, which ultimately one could argue is the, the greatest pain, no matter how painless the methods of killing the animals are, the animal senses it's going to be killed. And uh, I just don't think there's a, a nice way of slaughtering an animal especially in an industrialized uh, society where you'll have to kill multiple animals in a, in, a, um, in a cost-effective manner, is going to make it invariably impossible to, uh, to shecht in a way that would be considered um, uh, without pain. That being said is that we do it and we see all the time. But let's, let's go beyond that. Is So when is Tzareb permissible? If we're allowed to kill animals to eat them, even though that is ultimate pain, perhaps there are other areas where we are allowed to inflict pain upon animals. So one example would be: what about for financial gain? So most people, when you say, "Can I can I hurt animals for financial gain?" most people's you know quick response is absolutely not, but uh, we do it all the time. So some we do all the time uh, is it's formal graphics. so you could talk about you know dog fighting and uh, and horse racing which is inflicting pain on animals um for financial for 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 pleasure and for financial gain but um places where the the, the most uh, notably is in any milk products or pretty much most non-vegan products that you buy are inflicting pain on pine animals in order to benefit from them financially. So a classic example would be eggs. So if you use caged eggs or even free-range eggs, you'd be told, is that uh, unless you're getting like uh, eggs that are, you know, fresh from the farm where the chicken can come and go as it pleases, invariably a caged egg is a lot cheaper than a free-range eggs, which is a lot cheaper than organic, et cetera, et cetera. And the reason they're cheaper is because you've got economies of scale. So you put this chicken in its little coop, it doesn't see the light of day, and it's laying a ton of eggs every day, and it's very profitable for the farmers, and it's very profit- and it's very financially beneficial for me. So it means I can buy a dozen eggs for $4 instead of buying a dozen eggs for $12. So that makes a lot of sense. So, but, but you're causing pain to the animal. So we're going to say, is it permissible to cause pain for the animals or not permissible to cause pain for well, Financially, it's beneficial to me. So, so perhaps it is possible. So halachically, that would be one area, financial gain. Two, would be an area of uh, pikuach nefesh, let's call it, or potential for pikuach nefesh. So if this is called vivisection for uh, uh, animal experimentation. Is such a thing permissible in order to perhaps help humans in the, in the long run? So there we go. Another way is that, uh, to experiment on animals to hopefully uh, create a cure for um for humans the third one which we're going to we are going to focus on is um which is similar to uh, enjoyment so if killing animals for enjoyment is uh prohibited what about killing animals or or, or or torturing animals where the most torturing is not intentional to torture but it has some other benefits so like a, for example a mouse trap may torture an animal even though that's not really my intent. My intent is to get rid of the mouse, but the nature of mouse traps is that they might just torture the animal. It might only catch its leg or it might get one of those, uh, those glue ones where its fur gets stuck on. And it's in a... So there are lots of ways you can do it. That could be very painful for the animal. But my intent is the removal of something that's frustrating or annoying me rather than – so Is it... it's almost like the flip side of the same coin of if I can't, uh, if I can't inflict pain on an animal – for pleasure, so can I inflict pain on an animal to remove the thing that's given, that would give me pleasure? Either? So the presence of rats in my house or presence of a possum in my roof is something that I don't want. So what I need to do is do something that will get rid of that and that will give me a peace of mind. And is something like that permissible? So it is that question that uh, Rav Moshe is going to be dealing with. All right, so, so how does Rav Moshe, so the start of the question... So says So we're dealing with two kinds of uh, creepy crawlies, or two kinds of uh, vermin. One that are one, ma'usim, things that are disgusting, despicable,. And they can defile food. So example, so like bees and wasps and the like. So is there any? It says isu there is no prohibition whatsoever to kill them. So to masks that are causing a loss to your food. So if you've got masks that are eating through. the. Or the more so, if there are humans that are either um, the children that are going to get, uh, there's a certain danger associated with it, or people that are very startled by them. There is no prohibition to kill them, why? So he says, wherever there is tsar leben adam, so there's any concern that for humans, this is going to cause humans distress, so there is no problem whatsoever. So if, so for example, what would I rather have? A flesh for dinner, or, you know, and a rat, or a rat living in my, my, my garage, so everyone would say to get rid of the rat. So I'm getting more Simcha uh, from getting rid of the rat than am from eating steak. So the whole idea so is for the need. If there's, a, if there's a need for human beings, so it will be permissible to do so. So it's sabal a of Moshe, and this is the way we pass There is no prohibition whatsoever if there is some real need to do it. Entertainment is not a need. In fact, the concept of entertainment is almost non-existent within the halachic world. There are times where we do see uh, Simchat Bet-Shoeva and Sukkot in the Beit HaMikdash that make big bonfires and the like, that there was this concept of uh, perhaps uh, a concept of entertainment. But broadly speaking, the idea of leisure time and entertainment is something that is very foreign. In fact, uh, the, uh, the, the, the Gemara talks at length about the, the follies that Moshe of Leitzim, of going to the uh, circuses and amphitheatres in the Roman times to go watch the jewels and the gladiators. Interesting, there were certain rabbinim who used to go, according to the warrior, used to go to the jewels um, of the gladiators um, in the, in that Roman period, not to watch them, but uh, at the end of it, when one was over the other, and the whoever was in charge would say, you know, thumbs up or thumbs down, so that the Jews would go in order to, you know, give him thumbs up, let the guy survive, as a, a form of piquach nefesh. But to be able to watch these things as sport and activity was something that was very anti-Torah. It, was, it wasn't until relatively recently um, that uh, Jews, you know, really started getting into sport. Um, so that is something to changed. That being said, we still have to deal with our, our original Gemara question of Rabbi Uda Nasi, about how he deals with this whole concept, you know, how, how does what is this, that story trying to teach us? That he has no compassion on the... Uh, on the animal, and then he suffers terribly until he has compassion on the weasels. So, Ramoshe explains that story as being that these animals were not vermin. That the reason that Rav Yehuda Nasi insisted on that the, that the maidservant should not kill them or get rid of them because they weren't harming anyone. They were there. They were minding their own business sitting in the corner. So leave it alone. So this would be your, uh, I don't know, your, your, your spider that's sitting in the corner of your garage. You know, who's it hurting? It's not doing anything over there. So if you've got someone who's arachnophobe, uh, so okay, then you've got to get rid of them too often. But if it's not, it doesn't bother you. And it's just like aesthetically, you know, you don't like it so much. So perhaps you should just leave them alone. That, that seems to be where he's leaning in this particular thing. But, and I think this is a, um, the key to this particular tshuva barav Moshe. It says this. If possible, you shouldn't kill any of these things by hand. You should try to do it indirectly. So what's the... So, I'm going to kill, uh, and he's talking again, he's talking about flies. So, how do you kill flies? You shouldn't kill them with the fly water. Uh, or bees, and like you, with a, a mouse. I don't know, I don't know, how you kill a mouse. Good luck to try to kill a mouse. But um, you shouldn't kill them by your hands. So, he says as follows So, he says, because the Torah tells us, that even when there are times where we have to put someone to death, we have to do an act of, uh, of, of murder, even in a time where it's a mitzvah to do so. For example, so he gives an example of what's called Ibn Dachat. Ibn Dachat is a city, um, it is an evil city that has to be uh, raised to the ground and uh, the people in there killed. Or, alternatively, someone who's been put to death by you know, the baked Din or the like. He says, even when there's a mitzvah to kill someone, The verse, the Torah has to give a specific prayer, a specific blessing that the person will be given an additional form of mercy. Meaning, because the executioner is going to have to kill someone, so he's likely to become quite a cruel individual. The executioner becomes cruel. And so the Torah says, wherever there's a mitzvah to kill someone, Battle or bait in punishments, capital punishment, the Torah has to promise that this individual will be rewarded with additional level of rachamim, of, of mercy. Not mercy for them onto others, but the ability to feel a sense of mercy. So it says, um, he says, because our nature are. That when you do cruel deeds, you become a cruel individual. Now, this is something that is quite clear in in the um, psychological literature, that you go see psychopaths and sociopaths, and you see that they, so often they start by torturing animals, that this idea of being a a vindictive and aggressive individual starts early on. So by killing animals, you're going to create a sense of, of cruelty within your own personality. And that is true. So if it's true with regards to killing humans, even when there's a mitzvah, it is also true with regards to killing animals. So it says mitzvah moil ze namishlo yes lot be midatarachamin. So it says perhaps with regards to slaughtering, that's not necessarily the case because of the it's been done for a mitzvah of a la bayla rog bishop. But if your purpose of killing is only just so that you don't, you don't have to suffer from this bug or this rodent. So there's no guarantee you can get the blessing. So the slaughterer, he's getting the blessing that he will still be Rachaman. He will still have mercy on. On, on other people and on, on in the world in general, even though he's taking a laugh, that is because it's a mitzvah. But if you're not killing, so to speak, for a mitzvah, i.e. you're killing the animals because they're annoying you, you're not going to get the blessing. So you're going to be doing an act of cruelty, but without a guaranteed blessing from Hashem. Therefore, it is better to not kill them by hand. So you should rather put traps or put deterrence or whatever the case might be. Okay, um, let me just see what else he says here all right so so that's is what he, what he comes to say and I think it's quite a profound idea that so often. We sort of look at these the, the, these sort of halakhic questions in a very black or white sort of way. Either is it permissible to uh, to kill these bugs, either yes it is, which is I think most people would say just you know, get rid of the thing, or no it's not, which is a very Buddhist approach. I recall hearing um, a podcast a while back about a particular Buddhist temple of Namastokin in Nepal that was being eaten rotten by uh, termites, but the philosophy of the monks is that they have every right to be here, as do we, so how can we, you know, if we fumigate to get rid of the, the termites so I'd saying our lives are more important than theirs. Human beings are more important than animals, there's no question. As I said with my bar mitzvah boys, um, I did a few dilemmas, that you're walking down a beach and you see your dog drowning, your dog drowning in the, in the, in the water, and you see a stranger equidistant away, also drowning. Who do you save? Your dog, who you deeply care for, the stranger. So Judaism is like it's not even a question here. You you, you save the stranger. You don't save the dog. and dog's a dog and a human's a human. And one should never make those you know, then make that error. That being said, is we it doesn't mean you can just do whatever you want with animals. Animals are creations. V'rachamavakom HaSav HaShem has mercy on all his creations, and therefore we too have to. So going back to the story of Rabbi Yehuda, Nasi is uh, the idea of showing mercy to Rabbi Yehuda, uh, to, uh, to the cow. It wasn't a matter of that the cow didn't have to be slaughtered because it, was, it didn't want to be slaughtered and he should become a vegetarian, but rather there's a certain sensitivity that one has to show towards animals, that even if you're going to eat them, so so even if you have to slaughter them, you've got to do it in the best way, the most humane way possible. And when it comes to killing animals, so if you have to kill an animal, you have to get rid of bugs and everything, there are ways of doing these things. If they can be done in a more humane way, it has to be done. And if it's not, so there are two reasons that have been brought out in essence. Um, to tabula Khan can be looked in one of two ways. Number one, and perhaps foremost, is that Hashem's creatures, we have to treat them well, and we shouldn't create unnecessary pain and harm to them um, but necessary pain and harm for eating and for other benefits, it is permissible. But then there's the second element: is what does it do to our personalities and our character when we kill animals? And that is, it's, it's quite a negative element on our personality. And therefore, we need to do everything we can in our power to ensure that we don't do that, um, and try to do it in the most humane way possible. Indirectly, if um, there's no humane way of doing it. So those are the sort of uh, things I wanted to deal with this evening. I thought it was, uh, when I read this from Moshe, I thought it was quite an interesting perspective. Um, Questions. Would it be considered, Sarabalei to use worms as live bait for fishing? That's a good question, using live bait for fishing. Um, Well starting point is we have to assume that the fishing you are doing is to eat the fish assuming that you catch a kosher fish that you will eat it because as we've already mentioned that uh, catching fish for fun is in you know good old rex hunt way which you'd catch it kiss it and throw it back so that was that would be a Torah prohibition but to use live worms um, it's a good question Um, i'm trying to think why not there's definitely a, a, a good form of debate. You're definitely making this worm suffer. It's a good question. I don't have a good answer. It's a good question. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us this evening. Hope to see you uh, again next week or tomorrow night. Um, I hope you have a wonderful evening. Laila tov.